0: This is the Insight is Capital podcast.
1: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual podcasters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of advisoranalyst.com. This podcast is meant to be for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed in this podcast is intended to be
0: considered as advice. Hello, and welcome to the Insight is Capital podcast. My name is Pierre Daly, Managing Editor of advisoranalyst.com. Our special guest is Steve Hawkins, President and CEO of Horizons ETFs. Steve is responsible for the day-to-day business and affairs of Horizons ETFs. He's been in the industry for more than 25 years, and he's been with Horizons since 2007. Steve is well known for being in part responsible for the proliferation of ETFs in Canada and has brought many first-of-their-kind ETFs to market. He spearheaded the launch of the world's first marijuana ETF, the world's first global equity ETF, driven by artificial intelligence, and Canada's first robotics and automation ETF. Without further delay, my conversation with Steve Hawkins. Steve, welcome to the show.
1: Pierre, I just want to say uh, thank you very much for Advisor Analyst and having us, having me on, and, and thinking of Horizons ETFs.
0: It's really a pleasure to get a chance to talk to you smack in the middle of summer. We're also still sort of in the uh, later. Bit of the COVID pandemic shut down and all that's been going on since late February, you're really among those that are at the center of the business and it's great to get your perspectives. We've had a number of conversations with Mark Noble, with Brooke Thackeray, who looks after the Horizon Seasonal Rotation ETF recently. And coming up, we have another conversation with Hans Albrecht and Nicholas Picard. From your place as CEO of Horizons ETFs, with all of the feedback you're getting, what are your thoughts about the market right now?
1: From my perspective, 10,000 foot level, I'm also in a unique position because I'm chairman of the Canadian ETF Association right now as well. That's right. So I see a lot of what's going on generally in the marketplace. Horizons ETFs itself is very proud to be an ETF only shop and not be in the mutual fund space and not have to worry about the concerns that the mutual fund asset manager, producers, are having these days and, and trying now to break into the ETF marketplace. We were the third ETF provider in Canada initially. Then the second one actually sold their company. So we became sort of like the second ETF provider and we're the fourth largest ETF provider behind the Black Rocks, the Vanguard's and, and in Canada, the unique one is BMO. It's, it is a unique vantage point having been here for uh, 12 plus years in the Canadian ETF marketplace. And even though Canadian ETFs were the first ETFs in the world. Nobody really thinks about Canada that way. And, and most of the, the majority of the ETF providers, of the 37 ETF providers, were all created in the last three years. So there isn't a lot of people that, were, that have been around in the ETF space for a long time. I've had the pleasure of sort of being in the uh, horizons fold uh, since inception and um, happy to be where we are today as the fourth largest ETF provider in Canada. Th- these are very unprecedented and unusual times. Even having worked in this industry through the, the crash of 97 and and, and uh, things like that from my personal history, the reasoning and the rationale behind what is going on right now is so very different than anything we've ever seen in the past. The negative oil prices we saw in April for the first time in, in history, but it's just a very, very unusual space Canadian investors, generally speaking, I I think have been good investors on a relative basis to the rest of the world. I don't know what is continuing to drive these U.S. equity marketplaces higher still from where they are now with all of the bad news that is still coming out and continuing to coming out. And Is there going to be a second phase and is there going to be a third phase of what's going on uh, with this pandemic and, and how will that affect the marketplaces? will there ever be an airline industry again like who knows myself i traveled almost uh, two out of every three days last year and in 2019 and outside of just traveling to a few cities in canada like montreal calgary vancouver edmonton i don't expect that to be any travel in my uh, future you know i'll be dealing with canadian clients There won't be international conferences anymore. The world, as we know it, has changed um, or has had to change uh, right now and will continue to have to adapt um, to this sort of uh, new way of doing business on on a global scale. For us, product launches have generally slowed down. We had to really step back for us. We were impacted last year by... Canada Revenue, which took aim at uh, certain ETFs and things like that, which most affected us. We had to really sort of reorganize our entire Horizons ETF suite of the way that we do business. And I think that was very positive for us. And, and it's going to be very positive for us on a going forward basis, even though we had great momentum up until that point in time. We continue to innovate. We continue to evolve here at Horizons ETFs. I think new technologies and things like that in this marketplace are so very important. And and to your point about like what's going on overall, Canadian investors are still big fixed income investors. We don't invest enough outside of Canada that we should be. Though most Canadian, the majority of Canadian equity flows, Canadian ETF equity flows this year have been outside of Canada, primarily the US, but some, some EFI, some uh, emerging markets to that extent. But Canadian investors have really had to change the way they do business. We have so many people sitting at home these days, yeah. sitting on their computers and they're like, oh, well, I can be an investment av- I can be my own investment advisor now, right? So they're taking yeah. their, uh, people are trying to take control of their own investment future. And I'm not sh- necessarily sure that they're doing a very good job, but, but an ETF is the right tool from our perspective to help them, to empower them, to take action with respect to their own investment portfolio, I have some with a robo advisor, I have some with a registered advisor, I have some that I manage myself. But I, I, I sort of use all of the different avenues that that are available to me. Even as a professional investment manager myself, I don't have time to manage all of those things, and and I don't get, to, I don't have the luxury of, of. Working from home these days, per se, though I sure could. But I actually like coming into the office. I it's a, it's a four minute walk for me, so, or a, a two minute scooter rides. But walking around the streets of Toronto here and and there's nobody here. It is so surreal. It is so very different. And I know it's this way everywhere else in every other major city, right? So you yourself, you have your bookshelf behind you and yeah. uh, you would see me with my, my my office furniture behind me still, but, uh, right. but I'm wearing a t-shirt and sandals. So it's a, it's a very different work atmosphere, right? We're not meeting clients face-to-face anymore. Everything is being t- conducted by phone call and video calls. So, It is a very different world out there. I really don't know when things will change from the way they are right now. People keep saying, oh, it's going to be August 1st. It's going to be August 15th. It's going to be September 1st. Until there is like a 100% proven vaccine,
0: this world is not going to change anytime soon. Absolutely. I think there's some folks who think that this is the second phase, but it's really still only the first phase. And this resurgence of Cases in the U.S. Really, you would think that it would cast a pall on the market. It would it would raise the uncertainty level, but by by all appearances, it certainly hasn't. And when you when you look at where stocks are going, not all stocks, but a certain groupings of stocks that are the stay-at-home stocks, as they call them. What are your thoughts on the market in terms of, of why it's behaving the way it is? I think some of the conversation that was happening, some of the talk was that because there's no sports and therefore there's no sports gambling, the sports books are closed. And and so all of these folks that spent time betting on sports, uh, there's no more sports, so there's no more betting. So they've shifted to day trading is, the, is certainly one of the things that's been talked about quite a bit. And that, that may be part of what's driving this FOMO uh, fear of missing out market that's going higher and higher, even though there's so much uncertainty.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of money sitting on the sidelines last year as well, right? And, and one of the topics that I know that we're going to talk about today is is sort of uh, cash savings ETFs. And, and there was so much money that went into these types of products last year there continues to be a lot of money that are going into these products but your point is absolutely correct from the perspective of people don't know what to do with themselves and and there are one of the highest selling ETF categories this year that which has never been there before is our commodity trading ETFs and leveraged inverse leverage ETFs right people speculating on a day trading perspective on what's happening with oil, crude oil, you know, crude oil, natural gas, gold, silver, all of these things and all of these asset classes, which are really the easiest access for the end investor, the retail investor through a, a, just an online trading account. They can be bought through ETFs and you can get leverage exposure to oil and natural gas and right. gold. And so levered ETFs have significantly picked up from a, a volume perspective both this year and last year. Our our leveraged oil, crude oil up, uh, bull ETF, is in the top 10 ETFs this year of of, of net sales, of money coming wow. in. And it, it has not performed very well, but that's where people are speculating on potential returns. And, and I wish they had put their money into leveraged NASDAQ instead of leveraged oil, because we would have made a lot of money and they would have made a lot of money through this period. But the the world has changed, absolutely. There's a lot more people that are trading directly. I sat down over breakfast this morning and talked to my son about his personal trading and he wants to open a margin account. He's got to go through the bank, uh, regulatory compliance approval process to do that. He's got a TFSA, but that's for just very short-term or not or sorry very long-term passive investing and in, but he's I want a day trade now he works for a bank and, and and it's like with all these opportunities and I think people are a little bit bored and their people are seeing so many potential opportunities out there and people are their own worst nightmares when it comes to uh, investing and it's not unusual for people to buy at the high and sell at the low right and, and I do it myself sometimes
0: Sure, we're all, we're all prone to it, right? Investor behavior is the number one determining factor of, of success in the long yeah. run. We, we invest with emotion and, right. uh, and, uh, and and a lot of speculation. And it's
1: not always based on fact and, and proven circumstance.
0: So I want to go back and talk about this cash-saving ETF because I think that's an interesting phenomenon. It's interesting that that in the midst of the kind of bull market that we've been having, post-COVID, post the COVID lockdown and, and pre even, because this is something that's been happening for for a while now. Cash savings ETFs have become one of the most popular asset classes over the past year. And so we're not just talking in the midst of this crisis, but over the past year, it's become popular. So why is that? Well, it's it, and uh, there's
1: a few different reasons. I think one last year, from my perspective, is... There was a lot of people that saw so much uncertainty in the marketplace. They didn't know what to do with their money. You put it in the bank account and you earned zero on it, or you actually lost money on it because you paid fees. We were buying at one point in time, we were buying treasury bills and it was costing us money to invest in treasury bills. That's not something that you, that's not a a positive prospect for people, even though they're earning yield, they don't want to lose money on their capital kind of thing, right? With Uh, a bank account, but you're not going to lose it. It's always going to be there for you and things like that, but you're not earning yield on it. With these high interest savings account ETFs, it's essentially another institutional tool or larger organization tool that the banks have always had. And it's always been a carrot for these big investors and things like that, but it's never been available to the retail public before. It's, It's like day trading oil futures contracts. People still don't do that from a day trading perspective uh, or a retail investor perspective with futures. Now they do it with an ETF, right? So the ETF is is another investment tool which has allowed access to an always existing asset class that's been out there, but only a few people had access to it um, before. And there's almost 10% of the ETF sales in Canada last year we're into high interest savings ETFs. And people aren't supposed to be necessarily allocating 10% of their portfolios to cash per se, but 10% of the ETF sales last year were in these high interest savings ETFs. And and again, I can't really tell you why, other than speculating that people were very, very nervous about the marketplace. I know I actually kept a high cash balance last year myself, I didn't have invested in a high interest savings account ETF. I wish I had one last year to be able to do that. But I was invested in one of our other short duration, high yielding products that was supposed to have very low, low notional risk to it from an underlying asset perspective. So, uh, yeah. So an interesting phenomenon.
0: This is the time when logic says that investors should be raising cash out of some of the more speculative things that they're holding. And so, or, or this would be, this is also deemed to be sort of a terrific time to reconstruct your portfolio for the future. Uh, given where we are in the cycle, the cycle, it looks like we had the quickest bear market ever. And then the previous cycle resumed. It was like a secular flash crash now the market has resumed plowing forward to new highs very well extreme yeah extremely well and yet you can't ignore the amount of volatility there's been in those same stocks over the past year and so that's why the subject of cash savings etfs it, it seems like an odd thing why there's demand but then when you obviously start to reason it out it makes sense we had a taste of a potential bear market at the end of 2018 and then and then now we had a full-blown bear market. It only lasted a month and a half or two. Yep. And and stocks are back to new many. Most most of the indexes are, are close to their previous highs or at their or above them. So does this cash savings ETF does it also fit the configuration of your ETFs to corporate structure when you move within a corporate? structure from, say, equities into the cash savings ETFs, are they part of the corporate structure as well?
1: So they are part of the corporate structure, but one of the the things that the CRA rightly did several years ago is they basically stopped the ability of a, of a shareholder um, in the corporation to move within different classes or series of the corporation. So if you were in the equity shares of a mutual Fund Corporation, you couldn't tax free switch into the fixed income shares of that corporation or the high yield shares of that corporation or the preferred shares of that corporation or the cash preferred or the cash share. So it is still a capital event for you to go in and out of different ETFs and different asset classes inside the corporation still. But we did structure these ones very specifically so that they are part of the corporate class. And effectively, that means we, we don't make any distributions to you. So even though these are essentially earning a daily rate of interest, which is known and fixed, and the net asset value of the ETF essentially goes up every single day by that fixed rate of net yield. So the gross yield minus the management fee. So our two ETFs between HSAVE and HSUV one being uh, Canadian and US dollars, the new one that we launched, simply accrete in value every single day. Uh, Again, I was talking about it with my son this morning and it was like, and he he pulled up the ticker to it and it was like, Dad, it just goes up every single day. And I'm like, yes, that that is the magic of this. It just goes up every single day. But back to your question about uh, the other things that could be the rationale behind this is, again, an investment advisors for a while now, and again, started last year, did need to have cash in, in clients' portfolios, did need to raise cash as part of their, their model portfolios and things like that. And, and they don't like having cash sitting in the client's portfolio right. because they don't earn fees on that cash sitting in the client's portfolio. So you could have uh, a $10 million client account. And if he's sitting, if you had 10 million or uh, you know 10% cash in your, in your model, you got a million dollars of cash there. You're not no longer earning your hundred basis point management fee as the investment advisor in, in a full service brokerage account on that cash. They okay. don't they're not allowed to charge. But if you own a high interest savings ETF, you are at no additional risk. You own cash still. Um, And you own an ETF of which the client is earning a yield on and substantiates them being able to charge their fee on the underlying asset in their portfolio. So and it's and again, it's a very, very simple liquid tool. trades, all of them trade a penny wide every single day. They're extremely efficient to get in and out of. And it gives you the opportunity to have your client's portfolio fully invested. But it doesn't look like it's sitting in cash anymore. So that's just another positive benefit of, of these ETFs themselves as well. But there's, yeah. there's almost $6 billion in Canada invested in these in the four different high interest savings account ETFs with retail investors. And that's, I, it's one of the fastest growing ETF asset classes. And I don't think all the banks are gonna issue these products because they have their own internal sort of cash management tools that they like right. their advisors using it that they sell. They want clients to put their money in the bank accounts because they earn, they don't have to pay any interest on them and they get to use that funding to be able to make mortgages and, and it gives them the ability to earn, make more money on your cash deposits that you have on with the banks rather than having to pay high interest savings yields to an ETF owner.
0: The distinction that you mentioned was that the cash savings ETFs don't pay distributions, they accrue.
1: Yeah. Well, that's just ours. Yeah. The other ones actually make monthly distributions of the of okay. that income cuz they're not set up inside their corporations. We have a unique ability inside our corporations to defer taxable distributions. And it's Excellent. It, it's simply uh, a benefit of having the the 40 different ETFs that we have inside our corporate class. We generate a significant amount of income losses inside the ETF which offsets income gains. So the CRA, in theory, is not getting their pound of flesh anymore from our uh, total return ETFs because we're both generating income losses and income gains, and we're offsetting them, which is a a great tax advantage for investors in, again, like our, our best selling ETF this year and the number one selling ETF in Canada this year is our Canadian aggregate bond ETF, which is a a riskier version of a high interest savings account because it's invested in government bonds and provincial bonds and municipal bonds and and corporate bonds. But it it earns a nice yield on the underlying assets, but it actually doesn't pay it out in a distribution. So it accrues to the capital every single day. So this ETF's NAV, just like our uh, aggregate bond ETF, just goes up, simply accretes in value every single day from the interest accruing to the net assets. It's, it, they're great products from a structure perspective.
0: What else is very unique about cash savings ETFs, or in particular yours? You have HSAV, which is the Canadian dollar, yep. and then now you'll just launch the HSUV.U, which is the, the US dollar cash savings ETFs. What are some of the other features or, or benefits of these vehicles?
1: Well, they're so simple from an understanding perspective. And with your ability these days to execute ETF transactions with zero commission, they traded a very, very tight spread. It's extremely efficient. And the the yield that we're earning is significantly higher than what you would be earning in your bank account. Prior to the market crash in March and, and interest rates being completely reduced, we were gross yielding two and a quarter percent. And if you had cash in your bank account, you were basically earning five basis points, maybe 10 basis points on an annualized basis. And we were we were earning 225 in today's low interest environment. It's not as beneficial, but that's one of the reasons why we actually reduced the management fee as well, because when we launched our product, HSAVE, we launched it with a management fee that was conducive of that time's interest rate environment. With now the reduced interest rates out there, and we actually don't know when that interest rate, over the Bank of Canada overnight rate or anything like that's going to go up again. Uh, we're going to continue to keep our management fee there low. HSUV was the U.S. dollar version, and it was really brought about because we had so many clients that were coming into our Canadian dollar version, and we we raised almost $400 million in AUM there this year basically said, "Oh, I wish you could have this for US dollars. Like nobody else has this for US dollars." And there is a, there is another US dollar ETF out there, but again, it's different from ours because it does make monthly distributions whereas our ETFs do not make monthly distributions of that income capital. So, in in your taxable investment account or your margin account and you're just sitting and, and you don't know what to do with your cash right now and and even for bigger family offices and things like that, they can have it swept by the, their bank or their custodian into their overnight deposits, and they're going to earn a few basis points here and there. But the banks are really taking the lion's share of what they earn off of that, and they're not paying it to you as the investor. They're keeping right. it for themselves. That's what banks do. They they banks do a great job of managing their margin and their profitability, right? Here, we're just trying to give some of that back uh, to the end investor who wants to sit on the sidelines for a little bit of time. And I think with with one of my investment accounts, I had a pretty sizable cash position for a few months going into March. And then I invested all of it very, very quickly. I don't know if I invested it very well, but I did invest it very quickly. And I have made all of the money that I lost in all of my long-term passive investments has, like you said, bounced back. Like if you own the NASDAQ 100, you're up year to date now. S&P 500 is getting close. TSX 60 is getting close. But all of these... Th- these, this type of market volatility brings so many different opportunities for so many different type of people. But to your point about when you see huge uh, a market downturn like this, you would think that all the cash sitting on the sidelines is coming is going to flood into the marketplace very, very quickly and, right. and then boost up all these stocks. But you know, I'm going to say that for a lot of people, that is exactly what happened. But there's a lot of people on the other side who are panicking and are just going to sell everything and sit and wait until the market bounces back completely. So they're happy that they lost 30% and only 30%. They're happy to be in cash right now. And they wanna see, and they wanna make sure that COVID has uh, a resolution before they invest back into this marketplace, right? So many people are investing right now into this marketplace completely speculating on what they think the market is gonna do six months from now or 12 months from now, right? There are your traditional bricks and mortar companies like Visa and Microsoft and things like that, which aren't really going anywhere. They're going to continue to do things. But what has McDonald's done? McDonald's is in the Dow 30 and it's in the S&P 500. And and McDonald's isn't doing the same business that they were doing anymore. Visa is still doing really well as as a low vol traditional. It adapted very well to the online world as opposed to the bricks and mortar world. Like Visa sales, I think on a worldwide basis have not gone down because of the pandemic. Right. Yeah. Um, even though bricks and mortar stores are not selling the same way, people are online shopping now. And now you see the Amazons and you see the online world versus the bricks and mortar world. And it's your, your work from home scenario earlier. One of the best ETF ideas that I saw launched in the U.S. earlier this year, and it was before the pandemic, was a, was a long online short bricks and mortar ETF. And it was the wow. best performing ETF year to date in the U.S. ahead of any of the leveraged commodity ETFs, whatever.
0: I, I must and have missed that one. That's a pretty interesting pair trade. <laughs> it, it is a great pair trade. Yeah.
1: And, uh, yeah. and I, I wish I could. I wish I had. We launched the world's first marijuana ETF, but yeah. we did not launch the world's first uh, long online short bricks and mortar, which was a fantastic idea right before a pandemic.
0: Well, <laughs> especially since you're getting, you're getting double the return, Yeah. Um, Wow. So you said earlier that that advisors were were asking, why don't you guys have a U.S. version? In terms of overall sentiment, what are you hearing from advisors at this point? Like, what's the temperature?
1: There's a lot of people concerned about the Canadian dollar still. And and there's been a lot of volatility in FX on a year-to-day basis. And we used to have a a long Canadian dollar ETF. And as soon as the two-thirds of the way through this, market meltdown, the U.S. dollar had spiked. People gravitate to U.S. dollars very, very quickly as a safe haven, similar to gold. In here, people were putting money into cash, but people wanted to buy U.S. dollars. And we have a a U.S. dollar ETF and people were going long U.S. dollars. We saw a fair bit of money going into long U.S. dollars. But then U.S. dollars got to a point where it was overbought on a global scale. And then people are like, oh, I wish you had a long Canadian dollar ETF. And it's like, well, we did up until two weeks ago, but we didn't predict what was going to happen here with this marketplace. And there just wasn't the demand over the past few years to buy Canadian dollars. But I think there will always continue to be a significant portion of Canadian investors who own U.S. dollars, need U.S. dollars for their daily activities, for travel from a business perspective. And so... Having creating a U.S. dollar version here, this high interest savings account ETF, we really felt was an important step and to bring this type of product to marketplace for the retail advisor themselves who are positioning their clients' portfolios in in long U.S. dollars. And I think we're seeing a trend more and more these days of investment advisors not FX hedging or using FX as also an asset allocation tool themselves. So they're, they're long 50% of the portfolio in Canadian dollar-denominated assets and long right. 50% of the portfolio in US dollar-denominated a- assets. And and that could be in, including exposure to E.F.I. in uh, emerging markets or other international fixed-income instruments. But they're managing those assets in US dollars and and they're actively managing that US dollar portion. And then sometimes they'll hedge it back to CAD and sometimes they won't. And, and when they don't, They're sitting in U.S. dollars. They don't want to incur an FX transaction because the banks, again, even for their own investment advisors, really take a big chunk out of the profits that they can make on FX by doing actually a switch between CAD and U.S. dollars. So if they own U.S. dollars, they want to hold U.S. dollars, they want to leave it in U.S. dollars. Um, They might hedge it, but they will not switch it back to CAD because the transaction itself the FX transaction is too costly to their clients. So holding it in US dollars, we're just giving them a new tool now where they can actually earn interest and not pay taxes on that interest. People love bank deposits because when they used to love Canada savings bonds and things like that Mm -hmm. because they were extremely secure. And I think the high interest savings account ETFs are the next Canada savings bond. And as soon as they become more and more aware of Canadian investors become more aware of these types of products out there and they don't have to do anything and how secure they are. And and we're going to see a new wave of investor, especially as you get into the the more elderly investor who wants lower risk, who wants more fixed income in their portfolio. And they don't want fixed income risk either, right? So they don't want yield rates. They don't want uh, duration and interest rate risk. So they they're going to be looking to something simply that they can invest in. And Canada Savings Bonds are no longer an easy way to invest. Uh, they're a difficult no. way to invest. And ETF is still, from my perspective, the most efficient way for any investor now to, to buy uh, or uh, get access to an asset class.
0: As you said, there's, there's low bid-ask friction. And then also, you're eliminating the need for any uh, foreign exchange friction as well in terms of cost yeah we have an etf dlr and, and, and i know we're focused on other things but our dlr
1: is also is cross listed mm-hmm. on the tsx in in trades in cad and us dollars people are using this etf to do an fx transaction because they can usually save anywhere between 30 and 50 basis points of transaction costs than going to the bank and buying uh, Canadian dollars uh, or or buying U.S. dollars at the bank. So they can switch into U.S. dollars and, and very, very quickly through the ETF, and they can switch back to Canadian dollars with very, very efficient transaction costs and not having to go through the bank to do it. And we see bank investment advisors using this type of tool the most because doing the transaction through their own bank They're paying
0: very, very expensive.
1: It's a very, very expensive process. So people have asked us if we're going to do that with our savings, uh, high interest savings account ETFs, and it's very unlikely we won't because I don't want to complicate the story with these. Yeah, the very, very simple story. But you're you're basically you're giving us your cash as part of your investment into the ETF. We're putting it on deposit with the bank. We're earning a higher rate of interest than you could possibly ever earn yourself. And we're giving it to you in a very cost efficient and tax efficient manner. And it's it's as simple a story as that.
0: Excellent. So, Steve, throughout this period, have you been have you been busier or less busy? In my
1: role and, and because we're owned by an international asset management company. Right. I sort of work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, unfortunately, or I'm always on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right. We close our office for a week only. So and because I just live down the or live up the street, I, I, I was hoping that I was going to be able to. I've got a wife and three kids at home that are using up all of my Wi-Fi. I, I couldn't get a good connection yeah. if I did this interview with you at home. I thought I was going to come to work and I was going to be the only one here. And then there were a bunch of other people who were like, oh, I can drive to work still. I want to come into the office still. There's not a lot of people. You can still wear shorts and, and sandals into the office. Um, I'm going to have to buy some new T-shirts because I do more video calls. But I, uh, I've i been looking at it and thinking about it. And I, I have not left the office before 6.30 p.m. a single day in oh, wow. the past three weeks. Unless I'm not in the office at all, so I have actually taken some vacation days, and it's very very hard to talk to your staff and say, I know you're at home and you're working from home, but you need to take vacation too, still, right? And and that is a it's a hard point right. of stress. Myself, actually, because I come to the office, it's actually it was it's an easier thing to to manage through that process. But I would say that I'm in I'm typically working as much or more than what was going on before it's just part of before is i was traveling a lot now i'm much more involved in everything going on on a day-to-day basis and i'm doing a lot more things from an online perspective that i was doing physically before
0: yeah no more commute your commute was short to begin with. But. It was, it was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 there was a lot of people that were envious of my commute. But. Yeah.
0: Well, Steve, it's it's been a uh, distinct pleasure to talk to you today and to get your insight and to find out about uh, some of your new developments. I hope you'll come back and do this again. Maybe later this year, we'll we'll get together for another podcast. Thank you so much.
1: I'd be very, very happy to do that, Pierre. Thanks for having us uh, here today.
0: Likewise. Let us know what you think about the topics we've discussed. Please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast if you have not already. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Make sure you give us a like. And please, please leave us a rating and or a review. Ratings and reviews are extremely important. Thanks again for tuning in. And we'll be back with you very soon. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Advisor Analyst. You can also find us and follow us on LinkedIn.